It's crazy to me how time truly passes faster with age. Truly, that has to be one of the truest realities that anybody has ever pointed out to me, how much faster time truly travels with age. And it's funny because if you'll look back even now at this season of your life, you can see that to be true. When you were a kid, you know, like six, seven, eight-year-old kid, a day seemed like a week, a week seemed like a month, a month seemed like a year. But now it's already kind of beginning to reverse a little bit. And the older that you get, like a day seems like absolutely nothing. A week seems like absolutely nothing. A month seems like absolutely nothing. And a year goes by like the snap of your fingers. It's crazy how much faster time really seems to travel the older that you get. And I don't know about you guys, but I love the feeling that comes with the start of a new year. Some of you might not relate to that. Some of you might be stressed out already over the fact that it's a brand new year. Like your anxiety is already off the charts just because the calendar has a different number on the end of it. But I like start of a new year signifies new opportunities, new experiences that can be found. Some people see it as a fresh start. Some people see it as a clean slate, erasing the old, bringing in the new. But one thing that I found is that people's goals for a new year don't ever really seem to change very much. Matter of fact, out of all the surveys that are done by various organizations, asking people about what their New Year's resolutions are, eating healthier and losing weight is in the top three of every single one of them that I found to look at. And I must have looked at at least 50 different organizations that asked people to list what their New Year's resolutions were going to be. And I can tell you with full assurance, every single one of them in the top three, at least two consisted of losing weight and eating healthier. So the overwhelming majority of people each year start out with ambitions of changing their diet, meaning that ultimately they are dissatisfied with what they are consuming and they know that there are better things out there for them, things that have major physical and mental benefits for their overall well-being. Now I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. It's a rhetorical question. You don't have to participate. But I just wonder how many of you would have been included in the hefty percentage of people who at the start of this year decided, I'm going to eat better, I'm going to change my habits, I'm going to lose some weight. Probably the vast majority of this room started out with those kind of ambitions. And I don't normally jump on the bandwagon with these type of things, but uh, I want my diet to look a little bit different this year as well. So let's peek into Psalm 63, and I'm going to show you how I want my diet changed. Psalm 63, starting in verse 1, God's Word says, So God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Let's talk from the subject of New Year, 
new diet for a few moments. Touch someone next to you and tell them, you need to go on a diet. You need to go on a... No, don't actually tell them that. Are you serious? Why would you actually turn to somebody beside you and tell them that? You ain't, you ain't got no right to speak that into somebody else's life. If somebody turned to you and told you to go on a diet, turn back to them and say, the same goes for you. Hey, I've got a desire for my diet to change this year. And I want yours too as well. So we're all going on this journey together. It's a corporate change. People say it takes a village to raise a child. Well, it takes a community to lose a pound. That's why there's Weight Watchers, Facebook groups, gym classes, because it takes support. If somebody's going to drop a pound, it's going to take a community of people to help you do it. And on top of that, people unified in a goal are more likely to achieve it. I wonder if Jesus had any of that in mind when he called his church together and formed them and said, you go and reach the nations. Why? Because people unified in a goal are more likely to achieve it. But, listen, there has to be more than just that because a goal without a plan is just a wish. So we can't just have the goal and want to set out and seek to accomplish it if we don't also have a plan to accompany it. Otherwise, it will fall flat on its face and we'll never see it come to pass. And so, fortunately for us, God lays out a diet plan for us to follow. So if you haven't caught on by now, God's Word is very clear about the things our soul is to consume. So we're not talking about your stomach's diet tonight. We're talking about your soul's diet tonight. And I would like for my soul's diet, and I would like for your soul's diet to change a little bit as we go into this new year together. And fortunately for us, God lays out a diet plan for us to follow. Now, I just want to make a point in a very loving way all of us as we get started on this tonight. If I tell you that we're going to start a diet, one of your first questions I bet would be is what am I allowed to have? But here's the real reason why you're asking that question. You don't really want to know what you're allowed to have. The real reason you're asking that question is because you're trying to determine what it is you're not going to be allowed to have. People get turned off most times and don't follow through on diet plans because they see them as restrictive and keeping them from having what they want. But listen, say this in the loving, this is the loving part. Always indulging in what you want is what's causing the problem. That's the whole purpose behind the diet. The diet is the recognition that me constantly indulging myself in the things that I desire and the things that I want is causing me problems. So in the same way, God informs us that we allow our soul to indulge in whatever it is it desires whenever it desires it that is going to cause some major problems for our life. And so he says you got to be very, very careful about the things that you allow your soul to consume. Your soul needs to go on a new diet this year. My soul needs to go on a new diet this year. And as we enter into this, as God's plan lays it out for us, as we're going to walk through Psalm 63 and see 
This diet doesn't need to be approached with some begrudging outlook as if God is removing all the goods of life and not allowing us to experience the sweet things. But approached with an understanding of this is what will actually benefit our lives the most because the one who created us is the one who sustains us and is the one who knows best what will fulfill and satisfy us the most. So as we go into looking what it is he lays out for our lives as far as our soul's consumption goes, we need to go into it with the understanding that if he says to remove a specific thing, even though our soul may like to indulge in that, if God says it's got to go, then it's for our best. And so let's look at a few things to consider with this plan. First and foremost, you've got to take into consideration your fluid intake. If you go back and look at the beginning of the psalm, this is David speaking, and he's writing this song out, and he says, God, you are my God, and earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, and my flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Any good diet has to take into consideration not only what you're eating, but also what you are drinking. Your fluid intake is vitally important when it comes to your daily diet. As a matter of fact, health experts say by the numbers that men should take in at least 3.7 liters per day of fluid. That walks out to 15 and a half cups. You ladies should be taking in 2.7 liters per day of fluid. That's 11 and a half cups. That's a lot of fluids that your body needs to be adequately Hydrated, And anything less than that is what they would consider to be inadequate. Now, I need you to keep that in the back of your mind for a little bit later. As David pens this psalm, he is likely on the run from his son Absalom, who's seeking to kill him. So if there's ever moments in your life where you feel like your family is jacked up, and I'm sure it is because all of ours are, and having just come out of the holiday season, some of us were like freshly reminded of how jacked up families can be at times. If you ever think your family is jacked up beyond repair, I highly encourage you to study the life of David. You want to see a man who had a jacked up family? This guy had a jacked up family. And as a matter of fact, as he's writing this psalm, Absalom, his son, his son is trying to kill him. I can't imagine Graham at any point in his life actually physically trying to kill me. We may say that to each other. Families are jacked up. We may say some of those things in jest to each other, but I can't ever imagine having to be on the run for my own son who's literally trying to take a spear and run it through my body. That's actually taking place in David's life. So he's on the run and he's in the wilderness and he's away from home, which means that he's being kept from participating in worship at the temple. And let me tell you something, if there's one thing that King David loved to do, it was worship. How many of you love to worship? How many of you look forward to coming here on Wednesdays because you get to worship? Now imagine not being able to show up to this place to participate in worship because if you did somebody will be standing at the door with a gun to end your life that's what David is experiencing he doesn't get to participate in worship if he shows his face in public he knows word will get out 
likely Absalom will show up and his life very well could be ended. So he is being prevented from participating in worship at the temple as he's hiding in the wilderness. And while he's there, he says, my soul thirsts for you. It could literally be read, my soul thirsts for your presence. And the reason why that's so applicable to David is because in those times, God's presence was found in his temple. Old Testament believers didn't have the benefit of the indwelling Holy Spirit like we do presently because of the grace of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. And so God's presence was encountered and experienced in the temple when the nation of Israel would gather together for worship, God's presence would descend upon the temple. And so David says, my soul thirsts for your presence. Why? Because he's being prevented from worshiping at the temple where God's presence is found. So listen to me, with this diet plan, with our liquid intake, we've got to develop a thirst for his presence. There must be a thirst for God's presence within our life. And listen to how David likens his thirst. It's an intense thirst. It's not like I'm kind of thirsty, I could use a drink, but I could probably make it a little bit longer without one if I had to. David likens this to an intense thirst. He says it's like being in a desert. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh Thanks for you is in a dry and weary land where there is no water. The only thing worse than being thirsty is being unable to quench your thirst. It's being so dried up and so parched that you can hardly form your mouth to speak out a word, but being unable to find anything to wet your mouth with. David says, How thirsty I am for God's presence. In my life, it's as if his very life is hanging on whether or not he is going to be able to quench his need for God's presence. Let me ask you a question. Do we thirst for the presence of God like that? Is the same true of our lives? Is the same true of my life? Is the same true of your life? Can you literally relate? Can we relate whatsoever to David's burdensome desire and thirst for the presence of God in his life. Like I said earlier, it's just almost as if his life is hanging on the balance of whether or not he's going to get to experience that or not. That's how badly he desires and he thirsts for the presence of God in his life. Do we thirst for God's presence like that in our own lives? This year, I want to thirst for God's presence in my life like I never have before. This year, I want you guys, I want us as a community to thirst for God's presence like we never have before. To literally desire it so bad that we would get to a point where we would, along with David, liken it to being faint if we go one moment without him. We've got to develop a thirst for his presence. But then once you have that thirst, it's got to be quenched somehow in some way. And so the way in which we're going to do that is we're going to drink up on his praise. David found that quenching that thirst came when he drank up on praising the Lord. So listen, in verse 3, he says, So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live in your name. I will lift up 
my hand. So David says, my soul thirsts for your presence. And so because my soul thirsts for your presence, I'll sing your praise. In Psalm chapter 22 and verse 3, it talks about how God is holy and enthroned or he inhabits on the praises of Israel, his people. The same is true in our life. God inhabits the praises of his people. And so God's presence is found when we praise. Now the same person that wrote Psalm 63 is the same person that wrote Psalm 22. So in the midst of David's wilderness runnings, he realizes I can't be in the temple. I can't participate in corporate public worship. That's where God's presence is found. But hold on a second. There's something that I know about my God. And it's that his presence inhabits the praises of his people. So even then, David put two and two together and realized, I don't have to be in the temple to experience the presence of God. All I've got to do is lift up his praises. And as I begin to do that, his presence begins to inhabit. And I can experience him in the midst of this wilderness. I can experience him in the midst of this trial. I can experience him in the midst of this suffering. So David begins to pour out his praise unto God so he can experience his presence. This year, let's up our praise intake a little bit. You think we can do that? Let's up our praise intake a little bit to where we don't just let our praise rise in this place. Let your praise rise in your car. I want the person at the red light thinking you're some kind of messed up crazy when they look over and see you worshiping and praising the Lord at the red light when you stop. So don't just let it rise in this place. Let it rise in your car driving down the street. Let your praise rise when you're walking to class across campus. Let your praise rise at the gym while you're pushing up some weight. Let your praise rise in the shower. Some of you are already like, I'm good there. Let your praise rise in the shower when you're getting ready for your day. Let your praise rise in your dorm, in your apartment. How about this year when your Spotify rap drops, you actually get a praise and worship artist in the top three this time. Let's up our praise intake. You're like, Trey, you're going to be so mean when we start the new year off. It's just the reality of things. It's a reflection of the reality that we need to up our praise intake. We let too many other things fill our mouths instead of the praise of God far too often. And this year we need to change that intake a little bit and start lifting up our praise as a people of God to him a little more often. David said, your steadfast love is better than life. I've got to praise you. Because your steadfast love is better than life, I've got to praise you. I know for a fact that a good majority of you here in this room tonight have experienced the steadfast love of God. And if that's you and that's the case, let me ask you, where's your praise at? Because if you truly have experienced that steadfast love, if it's better than anything else you've ever experienced in your life, like David says, then our result, our default, is to then send up our praise to the one who has shown us something that is way better than anything we have ever experienced. There's nothing better than your presence. There's nothing more satisfying than your praise. Let's go back to our health experts for a second. I told you what, for the guys, 3.7 liters, 15 and a half cups. For you ladies, 2.7 liters, 11 and a half cups. That's a lot of fluid. Health experts will acknowledge that fluids can be from different things and different sources. 
So I'm not just sitting here telling you that you need to chug 15 cups of water per day or 11 cups of water per day. Fluids can come from different foods. It can come from juices. All that can be a part of your fluid intake. As a matter of fact, if you were to drink 15 cups of water per day, you would actually overdilate your blood system. So in reality, we could drink so much water, we could literally begin to drown ourselves. And so you have to be careful about your intake. It can come from different things. But they also acknowledge that there can be no real substitute for water needing to be the majority of what you take in. The majority of your fluids should come from water sources. It can't be sugars. It can't be juices that are full of sugars as well. So like your steady diet of Starbucks or Monsters or Red Bulls or whatever needs to be dialed back a little bit on your fluid intake because nothing can truly substitute for what water puts into your system. Other fluids can be okay, but ultimately nothing beats water. Water's the goat when it comes to hydrating our bodies. And as a matter of fact, I was reading some studies the other day because this is actually one of my New Year's goals. I'm committed to doing better with water stuff, and I hate water. Anybody else hate water? Hate water. Hate it so bad. I do like all the artificial sweeteners and stuff that like just basically cancels out while you're drinking water in the first place. I hate water. Can't stand it. But I was reading some studies the other day, and they were actually talking about how drinking more water can increase the longevity of your life. So I'm like, okay, it's a pretty convincing argument. Guess we can roll with that. It also talked about all the benefits that it has for your skin. And I'm like, okay, so we're going to live longer and we're going to look better. Water, here we go. We're going to give it a legitimate shot this year. In the same way, nothing should top our desire for God's active presence in our own personal lives. Now, hear me out in this. I think a lot of us, we see God at work in different areas, and we see God at work in different ways in the people around us. We get around God's presence a lot. Some of us do. You see him at work in your friend's life. You see him at work in family members. You see him at work in certain situations that other people are going through. You get around God's presence a lot, but listen to me, nothing can substitute or should substitute for your own personal praise to him and for him. Being in this place with all these other people, being around God's presence in this place, that's a good thing, but it's not a viable substitute for making sure that you yourself are personally experiencing the presence of God in your life. Jesus said, I am the living water. Drink of me and what? You'll never thirst again. That's a strange thing for Jesus to say. Because I know some of you, like me, have given your life to Jesus and you're thirsty. Thirsty right now. I'm thirsty right now. It's been a month since I've stood up here and done this. My mouth is on fire. I need something to drink. Jesus wasn't saying that you will literally never get thirsty again. You have to understand what he's saying. What he is saying is, is that you'll never thirst for anyone or anything else because anything less than him is inadequate. Anything less than 15 cups a day, guys, is inadequate. 
Anything less than 11 cups a day, ladies, is inadequate. Anything less than Jesus Christ and his presence in our life and our thirst and our desire for him as his followers is less than adequate. We got to have him. And only he will do. So if the world walks up and says, how about a cup of immorality? No, thanks. If the world walks up and says, how about a cup of partying? No, thanks. How about a cup of materialism, a cup of status, a cup of anxiety, a cup of stress, a cup of doubt? No, thanks, no, thanks, no, thanks, no, thanks, no, thanks. I got a friend, he used to tally up on his cup the number that he had consumed throughout the day. The goal was eight. And after he would finish the cup, he'd mark a tally on the side to keep up with how many cups of water he had put down throughout the course of the day. And I wish we'd do that to the world and the devil when it comes to Jesus. No thanks, devil, I've already had a cup of Jesus. As a matter of fact, I'm actually going to get another one right now. And as a matter of fact, on my way to class today, I'm going to get another cup right now. And when I go to the gym later on, I'm going to get another cup right now. When I get in my car later to go to my job, I'm going to get another cup right then. And before I go to bed tonight, I'm going to get beside my bed, and I'm going to get another cup right then. And when I wake up in the morning, I'm going to start my day. Guess what? That's right, another cup of Jesus. Over and over and over and over and over again. Filling and flooding our lives with his presence my soul thirsts for the living God grab somebody and tell them to drink up drink up drink up drink up you're spiritually dehydrated you need a cup of Jesus it's time to drink up you're satisfying your thirst or trying to with other things that are inadequate in comparison to him drink up drink up fluid intake Got a thirst for his presence, and we got to drink up on his praise. There's another part of the diet. That's your food consumption. So let's go back to the psalm. In verse 5, David says, My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. So David's done found some good stuff. I mean, it's not like he's on some Slim Jims or some Ruffles, sour cream and cheddar, Something like that. That's all good for a moment. But David said, I got some fat and rich food. Like David's been to Outback and got a 15-ounce ribeye. And he says, this is good. This, this is the good stuff right here. My soul will be satisfied with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. Not only does David thirst for the presence of God, he hungers for his word. He's deprived from going to worship, but he's also deprived from accessing the scrolls, which during their time was their form of the Bible that we currently have. So as David would go to the temple, not only would he participate in worship, he would get the Old Testament scrolls that they currently had out and open them up, and that would be how he would take in God's word. So he's deprived of both of those things. He says, I thirst for God's presence, but I also hunger for his word. And the only word David would have had access to in this current situation in his life is whatever it is that he had committed to his memory. So just as we need to develop a thirst for God's presence, we need to also develop a hunger for his word. There should exist, listen, if you are a follower of Jesus, there should exist within you a strong desire for his word. And if that desire does not exist and yet you call yourself a follower of Christ, then I think there would be some real cause for concern within your relationship. 
In John 8, 31, Jesus says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciple. So Jesus puts the two together. You'll be my disciple if you abide in my word. If you abide in my word, you'll know you're my disciple. So if something is amiss as far as your desire for God's word goes, then something could be amiss as far as your relationship with Christ is concerned. We're to abide in his word. It is to be our life. It's what we build ourselves upon. So do you hunger for his word? Honestly, do you hunger for the word of God? David was deprived of it. We're never deprived of it. We can access it whenever and wherever we want. You carry it around in your pocket every single day, everywhere you go. Do we hunger for it? Listen to this. The American Bible Society performs a Bible reading report on a yearly basis to gauge how much people interact with the Word. Now, this is a broad scope study across all Americans. It's not, it's not limited to the church. We're going to get to the church here in a minute in the survey, but this is a broad scope study of people living in this country and their interaction with the Word of God. In 2021, they found that about 50% of people read their Bible at least three to four times per year. Now, that might would have thrown some of you off, possibly expecting me to say that they read their Bible three to four times a week. So let me read it again. In 2021, they found that 50% of people read their Bible three to four times a year. That was it. In 2022, this year we are just coming out of, they found that that number dropped to 39% of people who read their Bible multiple times in a year. What was even furthermore astonishing to them in the report is that roughly 26 million people reported that they had either mostly stopped or completely stopped reading the Bible at all. And on top of that, they found that only 10% report reading daily. Now let's get to just strictly the church. The church-going people, the, the, the Bible-reading people, like the numbers have got to get better within the house of God, right? Like we're, the, we're people of the word, people of the book, so the, the numbers have got to go up some, right, within the church. So strictly within the church, surveys have found over the past couple of years that only 32% of professing evangelical Christians read their Bible every day. Only 27% read their Bible a few times a week. 12% said that they read their Bible once a week. 5% said they read their Bible once a month. And 12% said they rarely to never get in the Word whatsoever. That's in the church. And out of all those numbers, I think the most disturbing one to me is that 12% of the church says that they rarely or never interact with God's word could it be that we have lost our appetite for the word of God listen God's diet plan includes having a hunger for his word 
there must exist within us as his people a hunger for his word. And it gets satisfied when we take that hunger and then feed up on his ways. So just like we would thirst for his presence, we would drink up on his praise. When we hunger for his word, we'll feed up on his ways. David said, my soul is satisfied. So go back and look in verse 5. It says, my soul will be satisfied. So in the text, he's pointing to a future satisfaction. So he says, here my soul will be satisfied. Well, how is his soul going to be satisfied? Verse 6, when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. So David says, my soul is satisfied when I meditate on you and when I study on your ways. Psalm 119, verse 103 says, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Drop down to verse 131. It says, I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. We need to eat better this year. We need to eat better this year. You need to get some of the junk out of your diet. Like personally, on a non-spiritual note, I got to get off the chips. I'm just going to be candid and be honest. Chips are killing me. I got to get rid. I can't just sit down and have like a few chips. I can't open up the bag and have a few chips. I got to have the bag. Like we can't keep chips in the house because if I go in and open up in the cabinet, that's the end of it. It's shameful to even admit, but I'm hoping like if I get it out in the open, we can have some accountability. You guys can hold me to it. So you see me throughout the rest of this semester, ask me, hey, how's the chip thing going? Probably going to be bad, but we're going to give it a shot. I got to get off the chips. In the same way, there are some things that you need to get off of in your life and some things that you need to get on physically but also spiritually. Like, for example, some of you need to get off of people's affirmations and get on God's assertions. Some of you need to get off the enemy's whispers and get on God's wisdom. Some of you need to get off the world's propositions and get on God's promises. Some of you need to get off scrolling society's feed and get on the Spirit's feed a little bit. Since the beginning, God has warned us to be careful about what we eat. Did you know? Let's rewind back to the garden real quick. God creates Adam and Eve, places them in the garden. What's he tell them? He says, hey, here's the deal. You guys can eat of the fruit, any of these trees, any one of them. Accept that one. Any of the trees that you want to eat from, go ahead. Just not that one. You know what happened? Man, it's that, it's that sinful nature within us, right? Like we're, we're almost, we're fine until you tell us to not. And then like once we hear don't, all we want to do is do. Any of the tree that you want to eat from, except for that one. And here comes the serpent. Adam, Eve. Did God really say that if you eat of that one, you'll die? Well, I mean, not really. No, that's what I thought. He don't want you to eat of it because he knows you'll become like him. And so it says that Eve, looking at the fruit, Sawing that it was good and desirable 
plucked it off the vine, took a bite, shared it with Adam. Sin enters in. Later on, God comes down and he's walking through the garden. He's looking for Adam and Eve. He's like, where y'all at? They're hiding behind the bushes. We're right here. Why are you hiding? And Adam walks out and he's like, well, see, Eve, you know. So hold on, hold on a second. You're telling me that you, you ate of the tree. And this is how God says to Adam and Eve. So you ate of the tree which I commanded you of to not eat from. And Adam and Eve, that's right. We did it. And here's where I think people miss the story so often. They, they miss the true point of the story. It wasn't about the apple, the grape, the peach, the pomegranate, whatever it was that they ate. It wasn't about that. It was about God's word. God said, did you eat of the tree? Listen, did you eat of the tree that I commanded you not to eat of? It wasn't about the fruit. It wasn't about the tree. It was about the word that he had given them to not do so. All the other trees you can eat from. But my word says don't eat from that one. Because it will be of no benefit to you. Listen, we get too focused sometimes on what he has told us not to eat. We forget all about all that he has given us to eat. Any tree in the garden. You know how many trees were in the garden? Me either. Sorry if I got your hopes up for an answer. I would imagine it's a very vast number. They could have anything they wanted. It's not that one. Yet all they wanted to focus on was what God said you can't have. As if he removed something from them that would have been beneficial to them. And this year, this 2023, hey, God says, I, I've got all this laid out for your life. Just don't go over there. Don't go back to that place. Don't participate in those activities. Don't be found in these areas. Don't allow your eyes to look upon this. Don't let your mind get set on this. If you can do that, all this other stuff you can take advantage of. One last point, and we're done. Jesus is at the well. He encounters a woman. He begins to have a conversation with her about the discourses of her life, the things that she's done, the places she's been, the mistakes that she's made. And she's there to get water, right? That's the whole point of being at the well. So she's there to draw water from the well. She's thirsty. Conversely, the disciples were there earlier and they left. They went into town to get some food. Why? Because they're hungry. She's thirsty. They're hungry. They come back after Jesus had a conversation with this woman. He's revealed to her that he is Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And explains to her, hey, 
as long as you refrain from me, you're going to have to keep coming back to this well time and time again. But if you'll take a drink of me, if you'll take a drink of living water, you'll never thirst again. This woman took a drink of Jesus. She ran back into the town so excited. She left her water jug laying beside the well. She had just found new life in Christ. Jesus at the well that day quenched her thirst for his presence that she didn't even know she was actually looking for. So watch, watch, watch. The disciples are coming back. They're walking up. She's running back. They're like, okay, Jesus talking to a woman. It's kind of strange. Cultural, societal norms shouldn't be happening, but whatever. We learn to trust him at this point and the things that he does. They're walking back up and they found food. So they're good. They're trying to give Jesus some. Hey, Jesus, we, we found some food here. Take something to eat. Jesus is not interested in the food and they can't figure out why. They're like, uh, well, we got this food. Like you got you to gotta eat. You got to eat. So you got to have something to eat. You can't just keep going without food. You got to eat something, Jesus. Like take the food and eat it. Why won't you eat? We, we've had our fill. We're good. We got you a plate. It's going to get cold if you don't eat it, though. Like, you got to eat. you got to take some food. And Jesus says to the disciples, I have food that you don't know anything about. My food is to do the will of my Father. You know what the Father's will is? His Word. She was thirsty. She had her thirst quenched in His presence. The disciples were hungry. When they came back to Jesus as the bread of life, He says, here's the food you need to be eating. Here's what you need to be feasting on. The will of my Father. You know, where you, you know where you find His will? If His will is His Word, then guess where you're going to find His will at? In His Word. People ask me all the time, hey, I, I just wish I could find God's will for my life. Here you go. It's in there. But you got to go take some bites to find it for yourself. Matthew 5 says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Is that going to be the earmark of our lives this year? A people who hunger and thirst for righteousness like never before. That's my prayer. Hey, this is Trey Mitchell, college and young adult pastor. I just wanted to say thank you for listening. It's our prayer that God uses these messages in a way that challenge and encourage you to live for His glory. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus as your Savior, we would love to help you with making that decision. Just reach out to us through our webpage at underwoodbaptist.org. Be sure to check back in with us next week as we again encounter God through His Word here at Life.